I was like, can I pull that one tonight? But I thought, no, 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 that's all right. I don't want to overstep. Uh, but it's great to be with you tonight, and, and uh, it was just a blessing. And uh, so, you know, people ask, you know, how are you doing? It's weird. I feel like a foreigner in two countries now. So I've been in Sri Lanka just long enough to get used to Sri Lanka, but I'll never be Sri Lankan. And to come back to the States and, and you know, everything's just different. You know, in, in Sri Lanka, we drive, we call it, uh, the driving in Sri Lanka is kind of like, it's like a system that's based on assumptions. And you just kind of assume you know what everyone's going to do. And as long as we all kind of work that way, it works out. And, uh, you know, here you have to, like, pay attention to police officers and there, you just kind of ignore them and just keep on going. And uh, see, so I don't think you're allowed to do that here. I don't think that works just yet. Uh, but, but just a real, real blessing to see all of you. It's like a big family reunion for us. And uh, just been, just been overwhelming in a good way, in a, in a really uh, awesome way. And thankful for Pastor Pyle allowing me to preach and appreciate him so much. And I can't say that enough, just what a true friend uh, the piles are, and, you know, I go back in my mind to when the Lord was moving us out, and I knew that Pastor Pyle was the one. I knew, just knew him. I knew his heart for people, their love for people, his preaching uh, of the Word of God, and, and just to watch how what God had put in my heart, and then to sit last Sunday, and, and there's this, this thing that happens um, between a pastor, the pulpit, and the pew where, where there's like, they're together, they're one. And one of the probably one of my favorite parts being here was sitting uh, in the chair last Sunday and seeing that you know that it's one and you're you're a family and you're a team and and then also just to see how the Lord's raising up leadership all over the church and I love it just different people stepping up doing things and not just all riding and falling on one uh, person and man it's just been awesome to see what the Lord is doing I want to encourage you this way though you know. Lord's growing you, and Lord's blessing you, and packing the, I mean, auditorium is going to be packed, but don't forget about all the lost people out here, and don't lose that raw mindset, uh, don't lose that soul winner, don't, don't forget about the people on the street here, and I went to Walmart, I'm not sure how many of them are saved, I'm pretty sure a very low percentage of Walmart people were saved, uh, <laughs> And uh, just to kind of remember what Idaho is like, just going to Walmart, and it's like, wow, the culture shock all over again. Uh, but I'm just, you understand what I'm saying. Don't, don't allow the, the comfort of all the church friends and all the leadership to get your eyes off of what Jesus' eyes are, and that's the lost, the lost sheep that need uh, the Savior. And so I really hope that the Lord is going to give you great wisdom and vision with expansion and growth, because this, this, this valley needs Christ, this valley needs what you have, and just it's just an amazing thing to step in and just see the love and, and to see all that the Lord has done, and just awesome. I love being able to talk to friends, you know, and, you know, pastors, we like to, you know, we have our own codes, you know, and it's like, hey, how's the church doing? I think guys are, just to be honest, you know, looking for a little juicy gossip, you know, and uh, as Brother Fiavai used to say, and, uh, and it's like, hey, by the way, I thank the Lord you don't have him up here as much to speak, Amen. <laughs> Every time Brother V of I speaks, I laugh, but at the same time, I'm scared halfway to death of, of what he's about to say, and, and I didn't know what to do from the Lord. Do I keep him up there? But it was just so entertaining, I just couldn't stop myself, and it kind of kept us loose, uh, but it's been good. My heart has been operating good because there hasn't been as much of that, and uh, 
But anyway, love you, better feel like. Hey, he can dish it out, so can I. It's all, it, it, it's all good. Well, let's let's take our Bibles tonight and and stand and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter eight. This this really wasn't the message that I planned on preaching uh, tonight. I'm I'm fairly regimented that way. I try not to change stuff up. I'm not really like that. But just this afternoon, in the brief time that we had. This this passage is is raw in my heart right now. It's 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 in me. It's the last message I preached before I left Sri Lanka, and I, so what I want to do is I want to show you something I think is pretty neat in the text. Kind of give you something that I think will be a just neat to see, and then I'm going to kind of bring you in a little bit into our our status with Sri Lanka. Not our status, we're good, but just as far as what the Lord's doing as well. I didn't know if just I'd be ready to discuss and to, but so I'm good. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit tonight and just show kind of how the Lord works. I love hearing from the Word and in the lives of people how the Lord works. And uh, so I want to kind of bring that in tonight. And if it doesn't go well, then I know I should have preached the other one. I'll just save that uh, for, for another time. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. The Bible says this. And he cometh to Bethesda, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes, and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man, notice, clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into town nor tell it to any in the town. I'm going to attempt tonight to preach on this subject with the Lord's help. Seeing trees. Seeing trees. Let's pray. Father, bless now the preaching of your word and... I love, I love passages like this because it just shows us what a great Savior you are. I pray that you would give me clarity of thought, give me power from your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would use this message, Lord, to just encourage us and speak to us about your working in our life. We pray these things in your Son, our Savior's name, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In verse 22, the Bible tells us that Jesus leaves uh, the, the region of Galilee and goes to the northern part of the Sea of Galilee to a town called Bethesda. Bethesda was a heavily populated city, though at this time the organization of it was more like a town, but it was a bustling, booming fish town and, and Jesus goes up there, and as he takes his disciples up there, the normal, the normal uh, stories kind of transpire. The normal course of events of when a- anywhere Jesus goes, essentially the same thing happens here that happens anywhere. And it says in verse 22 that they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. So, so he's in Bethesda. Of course, Jesus has done three tours in Galilee. His name is spread All abroad, there's thousands of people that have followed him from one side of the sea to the other side of the sea to Decap. I mean, he's been all over. And so it's understood the miracles and the power that he has. And so he goes up to Bethesda 
And there are these people that bring a blind man to him. Now, I believe, and you'll see why, more than likely this man wasn't born blind, but more than likely this man had lost his sight at somewhere in his life, but nonetheless, he's blind. And, and so they bring him to Christ, and they ask Christ to heal him. And then Jesus does some interesting things in verse 23. It says, and he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. So visualize this. He takes him by the hand. He leads him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, put his hands upon him. So very interesting. Jesus takes the man. They're in Bethesda, but a little bit different than what is normal situation. He doesn't just perform a miracle right then and there. He leads the man by the hand outside of the, of the town into more of an isolated region. And then he spits on the man's eyes and touches the man's eyes. Now, now when you read that, i want, I got to note this, that this is exactly what the Lord had just done in Luke chapter 7. Notice verse 33. I want you to see this because I want to bring something together. Jesus here in, in Mark 7 was there was a dumb man, a man who was unable to speak, a man who was unable to hear, and he was brought to Jesus. And notice what he does in verse 33. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephetha, that is, be open. So you read those accounts, and those are a little bit different than the typical miracle, a little bit different than the typical healings that you see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. There's, there's this spitting, there's this touching. And so, you know, there's a lot of people who like to read these things and kind of conjure up all different kinds of, you know, weird ideas of what the Lord is doing. But you just got to kind of step back and take this from, from a very straightforward perspective. Jesus, with the man who is blind, the man can't see anything Jesus is doing. So Jesus... So Jesus, if Jesus is going to do anything in his life, he's going to have to communicate with him in a way that he can understand. The other man's deaf and the other man's unable to speak, so Jesus can't speak to him directly about what he's doing. So what is Jesus doing in both instances? Jesus is communicating to these men about what he's doing in a way that they can understand. He has the man who is deaf, and he spits and he touches his ears. Why is he touching his ears? He's communicating to the man, I'm going to address your ear problem. I'm going to heal you. So now get this. Here's this man. He's blind. He cannot see. He doesn't know what's going on. And Jesus takes him by the hand and leads him away. And then Jesus spits on his eyes and begins to touch his eyes. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is communicating to him that he is working in his life and he is going to heal him. The spit, the touch, it's all Jesus' way of communicating, saying to him, I am going to heal you. I am going to help you. And, and, and it's interesting when you think about this, why does Jesus take a man out of the town, by the hand, by himself, and not just heal him there? Here's why. Because Jesus isn't just communicating, I'm going to heal you. Jesus is communicating by taking him by the hand that he cares for him. 
See, see, Jesus is communicating to a, a blind man, to the afflicted and the handicapped, that were just a number, were a group of people that never really received love. They never really received any kind of attention. They were outcasts. They, were really, they really weren't a part of the general fabric of society. They didn't receive special attention. They didn't get special care. And Jesus, by taking him by the hand, is, is communicating to him, I'm spending time with you in your affliction. I'm touching your eyes in your affliction. I'm spitting upon your eyes in this affliction. Why? Because I care about you in your affliction, in your impediment. I am here. I am with you. I am touching you. And I am going to work in your life. You know, I'm so thankful about the Lord that here we are on this planet and there are, impe- there are impediments and there are trials and there are challenges all over the world. There are people who are going through physical and financial and, 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 and emotional strain all over the planet. And you know what I love about the Lord? He doesn't just leave us the Word of God and just say, hey, the Word of God tells you I care about you, so just know that. But the Lord has His own way of, of coming into our life and holding our hand, and touching our eyes. And, and even though we're in a planet of 7 billion people, the Lord has a way of communicating through His Spirit, and through time in the Word, or through time in a message, or through time of, inter- of using circumstances to say, I am here with you in this moment. Now, I look at... I look at the church members of Colombo Bible Baptist Church, and I'm telling you, look, I'm not into, let me just say this, you know, it, it's easy to, for someone from another country to come here and say, bless God, you don't, you don't understand what they're going through, and you're ungrateful. That's super easy, but you've never lived there. And inflation is real to you. And gas prices are real to you. And so, so I'm not personally in, in the mindset of comparing and, and all that, but here's what I can tell you. The people in Sri Lanka are going through incredible suffering. You know, the average day worker there makes between 100 to 200 USD a, day, a month. And you're talking about our gas prices are more expensive, our petrol is more expensive than here. A lot of chicken is more expensive than here. A lot of items are more expensive than here. And we come through this financial crisis a lot of you have no doubt heard about or read about. Essentially, if I can just break it down, we made a lot of bad decisions in a lot of areas and we ran out of USD, United States dollars. It's gone. We're from $7 billion in reserve to two months ago. We had 20000 in reserve to zero in reserve. And so no money, can't buy petrol, can't buy cooking gas, can't import goods. And then on top of it, they're raising taxes. And so you have people who aren't getting any pay raises. They're not getting any increases to their $100, $110 a month salary. And now they got to pay, you know, they were paying $350. My wife could give you the exact number. So if I'm a little off, she can fact check me later. Somewhere around 350 uh, rupees in milk powder. And now it's somewhere close to 1,900 rupees. Now I remember watching the churches as we have, you know, we have different we have different uh, economic uh, people in the church of different places, but the bulk of our church, you know, is not doing great. And I remember feeling like, you know what, I'm not going to just rescue everyone. We're going to just pray and we're going to seek the Lord and we're going to let the Lord work in their life because you've got to be careful about that. You've got to be careful about just jumping in and, 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 and creating this dependency and all these different things. And it's an amazing thing as we've watched the Lord just get into people's lives and do things. I remember one particular Sunday, some things had happened in the church. The Lord provided some funds for different people, 
And I remember on that Sunday, it was almost like several of our church families just kind of snapped and emotionally several people were crying that day. And just, just from the strain and from the wear and tear of not being able to purchase things and, and, and not knowing, you know, where, where the money's going to come from and all these different things. And, and I mean, family, families not having a home and, or having to shift out of a home and find another home and, and not being able to find I mean, All these things are going on. I remember one particular lady in our church and, and uh, her husband is a Buddhist and, and uh her sons were raised under that, and, and they just got saved, and we just baptized them, and, and so they're really getting on fire for the Lord, and she loves the Lord, and I remember her coming into my office and sharing some things the Lord did, and, 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 and watching her cry, and watching her explain how they'd gotten to a place where, you know, they were using kerosene for cooking, and she was going to probably have to go to Abu Dhabi to work a job to send money back so that the family could eat and could survive. And I watched her, I watched her not, not in a poor me, but I watched her cry. And I watched her talk about the faithfulness of God in her life. And how here she is, just a Sri Lankan woman on an island that many people can't even find on a map. 22 million people going through the worst economic crisis ever in their history. And yet she says, here I am in the middle of this island here I am trying to serve the Lord and follow the Lord, and the Lord knew exactly where I am, and he came into my life, and he's given me grace, and he's given me aid. And you just, you just see all over the world, and in your life and my life, how many times have you been going through a challenge or going through a struggle, and the Lord just comes, and it's like he's taking you by the hand, he's touching you on the eyes, and he's saying this, I'm here for you, I care about you, I'm with you in the struggle. I remember, I'm, I'm going to be careful, I've got to watch the time, but I want to give you a little bit of what's happened. I remember our first Sunday uh, in, in Colombo, and, and uh, it was a big day, and had a big banner, and, and cake, and all this stuff, and, and, you know, we come, and we're all, you know, excited, and, and we show up, and, and I'm looking for Amy, uh, I preached that morning, and so I was looking for Amy, I couldn't find Amy anywhere, I'm like, you know, here they got this cake, and this banner, and they're calling us, and I'm like, where's my wife? And apparently my son had been, you know, kind of just struggling. And so she took him across the street, which that in itself in your first week is a miracle to get across the street. And uh, she got across the street with Nathan, extra miracle on top of it. And she got across the street and she goes into Kiehl's. And, and there she is in the store, grocery store called Kiehl's. And she's buying him a drink. And then he just flat out has a full-blown seizure right there in the store. And, and now you got to understand we're coming from America. And we're, we're, she's in a store that's like 95% Muslim. So she's got all the guys with the caps and the beards, and they're all kind of getting on her because she didn't have the emergency meds, and they're rebuking her, and here she is in the middle of a store, in the middle of a country, she's never really been around, and Nathan is just passed out on the floor in a foreign country, and then there are these people saying, hey, we're going to take you, and so she gets in the car with a stranger who, do, who she doesn't even know and puts Nathan in the car, they take her to the Airbnb, and she's got to go up to the Airbnb and leave Nathan in the car with these strangers that she's never met. I'm just saying, there's a lot of that kind of stuff right off the gate. Just like, here you go, welcome. And I'm going to tell you this, the Lord had made it so plain to us that he's with us. Perhaps the greatest form of that comes in the person, a lady named Mercy. No, that's her name. Mercy is a lady that through, just through some people that we know, uh, she has a special needs daughter and she's a houseworker and and so we kind of brought her in. We had no clue how this was going to go. Because, I mean, Nathan, you don't understand Nathan. Not just everybody can handle Nathan, but brought her in. And she loves him and, and can hear her in the morning, uh, waking him up and getting him. How's my boy? How's my boy? And just, just taking 
care of him and to watch every Sunday as my wife goes to church and she's able to minister and she's able to love on people and, and give the gospel and do all this stuff and to know that mercy's taking care of Nathan. What is all that? That's, God, that's God's way of, of communicating that he's with us. It's not just... Now, the, it's not just the word in a general word, but it's God specifically coming into us, taking us by the hand, touching us on the eyes and saying, I am here with you in your struggle. And every one of us who have walked with God for any period of time, you can name times where the Lord like spit on your eyes and said, I'm here. And the Lord was, was touching your life and he was communicating that I am at work and I care for you. Aren't you glad for the care of the Lord? And so, so that... So that aspect of the miracle matches perfectly with chapter 7. So that's not super unique because you come through chapter 7 and you see that. So you're like, okay, that, that's kind of the same thing. But then there's something different. Verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands upon him and he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored, and he saw every man clearly. Now, here something happens that's completely unique, that's completely different, that's completely out of the ordinary from the way that the Lord typically heals people. He speaks to this man, and he, does, he touches them on the eyes. He asks him, he asks him, he doesn't say be healed. He doesn't say, you know, restore your sight. He doesn't say anything. He says this. He says, basically, can you see anything? Man. And says, well, I kind of see images of men, but they're lengthy and they're blurry and they're kind of, you know, tree-ish. I see trees. And then Jesus touches him again and he sees clearly. Now that's different because if you read the Gospels, you know that generally speaking, miracles are full, instantaneous, all all at once, and, and in spite of what, you know, charismatics and all that crazy stuff on TV want to say, a miracle is a pretty obvious, instant, full-blown thing on the spot. But this one instance, it's not. So, so it kind of leads to questions. Why, why did Jesus do this? Why is this coming in stages? Why didn't the Lord just heal him all the way? And, you know, a lot of people want to speculate, and a lot of really heretical messages are preached on stuff like this because you just kind of pull something out and make it up. And people are just like, oh, yeah, amen, that's great. But, but I want to point out that this miracle has a context and a purpose that's clear in the passage that I want to bring out and draw some truth out tonight. So in order to get this, we've got to bump back up to Matthew 8. And, or Matt, yeah, yeah, and I want you to look at verse, look at verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they any in the ship with them, more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. They reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. They're saying, Jesus is mad at us because we forgot bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Now look at this. Why reason ye? Now hear the language. Hear the, hear the words in the heart of Christ. Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not? Neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Here, look at this. Having eyes, see ye not? So here they are. 
and, and, and Jesus is with them, and he makes a point about the leaven, but he makes the point after he's just performed a, a miracle. And I want you to notice verse 19. He says, when I break the five uh, loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, twelve. And when the seven uh, among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, seven. Now look at this. And he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? In other words, the Lord has just performed these miracles. And get it, he was expecting them to connect some truth in the miracle to some truth about him. And he was expecting them from what they had just seen the Lord do to bring, to connect that, equate that, figure out how that teaches who Jesus is. And he says this to them How is it that you don't get this? And he really answers the question because he says this Having eyes, see ye not? Jesus is pointing this out. Now get this. Now I'm going to build, so you got to follow me, but I prom- this is going to be good, I hope. Jesus, in the rebuke, connects them to the miracle and basically is saying this. You should have learned and drawn some things from the miracle that apply into what we just experienced with the Pharisees. And yet, you're not connecting The miracle to me, and you should be. So right after that, now follow me, right after that, Jesus leads them into this miracle. After he just told them that they should be connecting the miracle to what was transpiring in their life. And then he performs this miracle. Now here's what I'm going to submit to you, and I'm going to try to prove this. Jesus in the next miracle is showing them, based upon what he just said to them about having eyes see not, in this miracle, he's showing them what he is going to do in their life. Follow me. So I'm going to break down the miracle, and then I'm going to bring it all together. Verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. So Jesus takes the blind man and he's going to bring, he brings the blind man out of the town. Now, I want to just briefly suggest this to you, that when you come through the early part of the Gospels of Mark, for those of you that study and maybe you've taken the life of Christ, you understand that Jesus did three Galilee tours, and he, and basically in those tours, he's preaching and proclaiming himself, and he's gathering a massive crowd. But when you come to Mark chapter 8, there's a transition where now Jesus is going to lead the, mm, lead the disciples out of Galilee and he's going to go up north and then he's going to take them south to Jerusalem and all along the way he's going to show them some stuff. He's going to teach them. He's going to lead them by the hand. Verse 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town and when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands upon him He asked him if he saw aught. So you know what Jesus does? Jesus then spits and gives him the initial ability to see. Jesus is going to lead the disciples out of Galilee, uh, up into the north, and then he's going to begin to help them see. See what? Who he is. 
and what he's going to do on the cross. Mark chapter 8, all the way down through the rest of the Gospels, you just read it. Over and over, he's teaching them and showing them who he is and what he's going to do in suffering and dying on the cross and rising again. But verse 25, now follow me. Verse 25, after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes. He made him look up and he was restored. No, no, I'm sorry, verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. But get it, the man didn't see everything right away. He's going to take the disciples out now that he's preached, he's proclaimed. He's going to begin to show them who he is. He's going to begin to explain to them what he's going to do. And they're going to see, but they're not going to see it all right up front. They're not going to see it all. Verse 25. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. But by the time that the Lord is done with them, by the time that the Lord has led them on this journey to Jerusalem and taught them and taught them and taught them, given them sight and given them sight and given them sight, at the point that the Lord has fixed for them, they would see clearly who He was and what He was going to do. Now, let me show you how this is illustrated in the text, verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into those towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias and others, one of the prophets. Now stop. So he's coming to them and he's stopping them. He takes them up north to Caesarea Philippi, out of the way of everything. And he says to them, Who is everyone saying that I am? Who are people articulating me to be? And so people are saying, well, people are saying you're essentially a prophet or you're John the Baptist, come back. And then it's like this. Jesus looks at them and says them, this to them. Who do, what do you see? Who do you see me as? Verse 29, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And can I, can I, can I make the argument that the Lord essentially spits on their eyes right here? Because he, he says this in Matthew, that flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. Verse 29, and he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, thou art the Christ. Ding, 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 ding. The same, the same one who's in the boat hitting themselves in the head saying, we didn't bring bread, we didn't bring bread. Jesus says, beware of the leaven, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Like, oh man, he's ripping us because we forgot bread. The same one that Jesus just said, having eyes see you not, now all of a sudden he looks at Peter and says to Peter and the disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and, I, and I, believe, I believe it's not just Peter who sees this, but Peter is the one who's got the boldness and sometimes, you know, the audacity to say things. And he steps up and says this, I know who you are. I see who you are. You are the, wait, wait, the, 
specific person. You are the Christ of the Old Testament. You are the one that has been prophesied in the Psalms. The one who's been prophesied in Isaiah. The one who's been prophesied in Jeremiah. The one in Genesis chapter 3. You are the one. You are the Savior. You are the Christ. You are the one who will bring the kingdom. You are the one we've been waiting for and looking for. You are not just a prophet. You are not just a good teacher. You are not even just a powerful figure. You are the Christ. Wow. In Matthew, he says it this way. He says, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. What do you see? But wait a minute. Before we get too excited, verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter. So here is Peter. In one minute, he can see very clearly, this is who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Jesus says, very good. You can see. But let's see how well you can see. Let's see how much of me you can see. And then he gets into his suffering. And he gets into his cross. And there Peter sees trees. He's not seeing it clearly. Because he says, oh wait a minute. No, no Christ, no Messiah goes to the cross. You're, you're headed to a throne. That's what he's thinking. You're headed to a throne. You're not headed to a cross. And he's vehemently, he's so internally at, uh, adverse to the idea of the Messiah suffering, get it? He's so blind to the idea of the Messiah suffering that he's willing to rebuke the Lord that he just called the Christ in front of everyone. What Jesus was doing here was saying, look, we come out of the boat and you don't see much about me. But I'm going to begin to help you see that I'm the Christ and I'm the Messiah. And you're going to see that, but then there's some more to that. You're going to understand that not only am I the Christ, but you're going to have to understand what that means, I am the Christ. You're going to have to understand that it's, it's a pathway of suffering. It's a pathway of death. It's a pathway of humility. It's a pathway of death before resurrection. It's a pathway of humiliation before exaltation. But you're not going to see that right away, but it's okay I'm going to lead you by the hand and I'm going to keep working on you and I'm going to help you see in stages. And the Lord was showing them in this miracle how he would take them on the road from Caesarea Philippi down to Jerusalem and begin stage by stage, phase by phase to help them see who he is. Now, now, now there's, some, there's some applications here that I want to draw before I get into some other things. The first thing you should take from this is this. Jesus is taking you by the hand to help you see. And we have to be careful about becoming religious. What do you mean religious? I mean taking our growth in our hands. Taking our sanctification in our hands. 
taking our understanding into our hands, taking our wisdom and our decisions and having this mindset like, okay, here we are. We got the word of God. It's the roadmap and I'm here and God's giving me the word and I got to figure it out and I got to do this and I got to do that. We better be very careful because one of the things that's very clear from the Lord and very clear from the scriptures is this. You're not taking yourself by the hand. You're not leading yourself in this Christian path. Jesus Christ is in our life working and leading us by the hand. And can I just say this, man, I thank the Lord for that. We, I, I don't know, I heard a pastor say this a long time ago, and I have found this to be so true. The best things happen in my life by accident. You understand that's a sarcastic way. It's, what does that mean? It means it's not me proactively planning with strategies and maps and graphs and, and all the demographics and getting it all worked out and telling you this program. No, 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 that's not typically how the best things go. Typically it's like, wow, okay, I didn't see that. It's the Lord leading us by the hand. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you're, in some, you're in some areas in your Christian journey where you feel overwhelmed and you feel, you know, I remember coming into, I was saved at a young age, but I'd been away from the Lord. And I remember going to Bible college and all of this stuff and, and it was just all overwhelming and it was just like, I, I can't be that guy. And that's true. The Lord takes us by the hand. And maybe you're looking at some things in your life and big decisions in your life and maybe some areas of spiritual growth that, that you know that the Lord wants for you and maybe it's witnessing or getting involved in the ministry or whatever it is and you're saying, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. And here's where you have to start. You have to start with the journey of the Christian is not you and me marking it out and setting our own map. It's the Lord taking us from Caesarea Philippi down to Jerusalem saying, I will lead your life. So two things with that. One, don't try to take your life by the hand. Don't try to figure it all out. Don't try to, to make yourself into some person. Don't, don't wear all the responsibility of being this and doing that and knowing that. Let the Lord work in your life. And secondly, let God work in other people's lives. I can't, look, in, in Sri Lanka, when you get saved and you're a Christian, it... I mean, like, their whole passion is to see all their family and all their friends saved. I mean, you're talking about 98% of the island is not saved. And then those who claim to be saved, you're talking about a strong, charismatic influence. I, I, I'm not just, I mean, I doubt a lot of those salvations. Because it's for prosperity and it's for, you know, healing and all this stuff in an Asian mindset. And you know what happens? So when we have Buddhists and we have Hindus and we have Roman Catholics and they come to the church and, man, they're so excited. You know what they all want to do? They all want to jump on them and get them saved right there on the veranda. Let's get them saved. And they don't come back sometimes. Well, why not? Because everyone's trying to lead this person by the hand instead of just letting the Holy Ghost lead them by the hand. And one of the things we've had to work with our church and teach our church is invite and, and pray and bring your family and bring your friend. But, but, but God is real. He'll reveal himself. He'll show, let, let God work in a little bit. Let him come a few weeks. And sometimes in a marriage or in a family, as a parent, we want our kids to get it. Sometimes we want our spouse to get it. There's a lot of wives that are praying their husbands would get it. I mean, I think that's like generally the way it works. There's a lot of people praying for a lot of family members to get it and a lot of friends to get it. And here's where we have to back up. We can't take everyone by the hand and help them see. But Jesus is here, and he is real. And just as he, listen to, just as he led you, he'll lead them. 
So you don't have to take everyone by the hand. The second point about that is this. But Jesus shows you things in phases. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image immediately, instantaneous. All happens bang at once. Sorry, wrong Bible. From glory to glory. From level to level. From phase to phase. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, the Lord doesn't save us and just give us perfect sight and perfect understanding in all things. He doesn't expose all of our sins and all of our weaknesses and all of our flaws. He doesn't even guide us to deal with everything all at once. He works with us in phases. And there's things, by the way, there's decisions and things that we have to come to. And we're, and we're like, man, I need to get this decision and get this decision. And the Lord says, no, 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 wait a minute. We're, I'm not giving you that right now. We'll get there, but not right now. This is where you are. This is the phase I have you in. This is what I intend you to see. You know, there's a lot of people that before they get saved, they want to have all these future answers, you know, questions answered, right? Okay, before I get saved, what about this and what about this? And the Lord's not going to help them with that. The Lord's going to say, you just get saved and then we'll deal with that when that comes. A lot of people that talk about giving to the Lord and they want to tithe, but before they start tithing, they want to have some things concrete, secure, and the Lord's not going to do that. He's not going to give you all the answers and show you everything. He's just going to say, look, follow what I've told you, and I will reveal as you go. What does that mean? It means just live within what you can see. So many times we spend so much of our time Worried about things and looking to things and planning things that God hasn't given us the answer on. And God's saying, wait a minute, what about, what about what I have shown you? There's a lot that you know. Work on that. And then the third thing is this. I, I love that part where I didn't really emphasize this, but when he could see the trees, you know what he had him do? He had him look up. Why did he have him look up? Because he wanted him to know where the miracle was coming from. He wanted him to know that the miracle was coming from God and not from anyone else. Can I tell you one of the reasons why God leads us in phases? Is so that when he gives us sight and when he works it out, he gets the glory. Let's just be honest. For as humble as we talk, we all like a little glory. We all like a little credit. Now, you don't think I want to take some credit for Pastor Pyle? Come on. Right, yeah, yeah, I told you so. I just took credit for it. Amen? So the Lord says, hey, I'm not going to show you that. So you know you don't have it. So that when I show you that, you know where you got it from. So that when it all comes together, you say glory to God. If he just gave it all to us and it all just worked out, let's just be real. We would give a lot of glory to ourselves and we would miss the one who's led us all along the way. Statement. And then I'm going to share some stuff. Statement. Two statements because I'm not sure which one I like better. First statement. We often see trees before we see men. Second statement. A little more simplistic spiritual sight comes in stages we often see trees before we see men 
remember what feels like 10 years ago, to be honest. We, we moved to Sri Lanka, and we had, we had pretty good sight of what we needed to do. We had to get a place to live, acclimate to the culture, go to church. I mean, you know, all those basic things. Find a vehicle, like all that. Learn to drive, like all that's there. So, so when we show up, the list is really long of everything. So it's not like we're, there's no trees. It's just, this is what we need to do. I remember we move in and, and uh, like we find a house. And within that first week of moving in that house, COVID comes in. I know you all had COVID. We had military COVID. We didn't leave our house for 90 days. Like, I'm not talking about, like, we didn't go to the store. I'm talking about, like, we didn't go outside of the front yard for 90 days. Except, let me, let me clarify, there were a couple days that the government, and, you know, the government said, we're going we're gonna to let you out so you can get some groceries because we know there's no groceries for you. So we're going to open up curfew at 6 a.m. and we're going to shut it down at noon. So everyone can get their groceries. What do you think happens in a city of over 2 million people when you give six hours for people to get groceries? Let me tell you what happened. Amy's in line at 7 a.m. and walks out with groceries at 4.30 p.m. That's what happens. We had a crazy routine. We get up every morning. It literally felt like we repeated the same day every single day for 90 days. We get up. You know, we'd we'd kind of sit outside. We'd listen for the trucks. There, There was no Uber at the time. There was no pick-me really at the time. So you'd listen for the trucks, Panny Comadu, you know, watermelon or Cuckoo Moss chicken. And you get out there and you flag the truck down and you just, you're buying chicken out of a truck. And you're praying that this is legit. <laughs> and we ate rice and, and ketchup and whatever else for like days. And, I, and, and we'd play Catan every day and, and, and we had family time and, and, you know, it was pretty clear what we needed to do. It was like just live and survive. And we'd have Zoom church, and that was not a blessing because we didn't know anybody. Talk about awkward. You're on Zoom, and there's all these people, and you don't know anybody on Zoom. And you know how Zoom is. Like, it's pausing and stopping, and this is awful. And so we get through, kind of not get through COVID, but we kind of get through that. And, and then Pastor Terry, which we knew he was going to do better unruh, was going to come back for furlough for nine months and ask me to take the, 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 the English church, Colombo Bible Baptist, the main church that's overseeing the national pastors. And then I'm also going to pastor the Urdu church. It's a church full of Pakistani refugees that have had to flee because they're not Christian, but, but if you're Catholic, you're Christian. And so they get accused of blasphemy and then they have to come. And so they get saved in Sri Lanka and we have a church of uh, Pakistani refugees. And so, so I'm pastoring in the morning. So I'm teaching Sunday school, Sunday morning, preaching Sunday morning. Then we go home, we eat, then we go to 3 o'clock, uh, AM service, Sunday school service to the Pakistanis with the translator. Then we get immediately out of that. We stop by at the fab or something, get some snacks, and then we pull into church for the evening service. Wednesday night, we go and we have uh, 3 o'clock or whatever it was, 3.30 Pakistani service, and then we get out of that and we go straight to uh, CBBC and we have church. And so we got all that going on. I'm in school. So that, that's all pretty clear, right? Like, survive. Try to pronounce names. All that kind of stuff. And we watched how the Lord blessed in the Urdu church, and we watched how the Lord blessed in Columbia Bible Baptist. And really, because I wasn't the pastor, it was more of a management style. It was more like, don't blow it up, don't mess it up, 
you know, just kind of keep things going. But the Lord did some great things. We saw some, some, you know, every, it would get going and then COVID would come and we'd be locked down for 30 days. But in spite of all that, I mean, we were seeing people saved. We were seeing the church grow. We were seeing God do good things. So then Brother Underwood comes back and, and we meet and he says, hey, I feel led to go up into the mountains. We've got the nationals up there. It's my burden. It's been my heart for all these years. I want to go up there and kind of set uh, the gospel out there and preach and, and help these men and get churches planted and all that. And I want you to pray about taking the main church, Colombo Bible Baptist. That involves training the, the guy on staff to be the next pastor and, and sending out this other brother to plant a church and pastoring essentially the national pastors and all of this stuff. And essentially the Lord said, do this. And right up front, we kind of had a list. We had all the bullet points. Like, okay, you know, basically the Lord had built up a good core of Christians, but they weren't serving. And so we had to get a refreshment ministry and a greeter ministry and security ministry and ushers ministry and uh, soul winning. You know, soul winning was there and we had a choir and, and special groups. And I mean, the music's live. The music's amazing at our church. And we started working on that and the, the staff uh, you know, the staff had kind of had their own culture, and we needed to do some things. To get, we needed to be a team. We needed to be united as a staff. So we had to go through staff training and taking them through the Word and talking about being a team and all these different things. And, and can I just say, can I just give glory to the Lord? The Lord's done amazing things. We've baptized, I don't even know how many, we've baptized a lot of people in the Indian Ocean, in a monsoon, where, where people are so scared they're literally trying to drop down into water before it's time to baptize them because they want to get out of the water. You're like, no, sister, not yet. <laughs> We've seen people get saved. We've got young men called to go to ministry. We got set up a Bible college, and we just finished our first semester of that. I think we'll have 11 students in there, people ready to go to work for the Lord, serve the Lord. All these amazing things. The staff's doing well. The church is doing well. New families. And, and new believers, and we've got uh, lost people there all the time. Just amazing things that only God can do. And it's just been awesome to watch. Like, well, how did you figure all that out? Are you kidding me? I was going to school. I was just trying to survive. I don't know how this happened. It just happened. And then, then the Lord finally, like all those bullet points, we began to check those bullet points off, right? Culture of the staff's great. Great. The, there's people serving, great. We've got organization, administration is flowing. I love all that. It's all good. Things are good. Lost people, follow up. I mean, 20, 21 church members trained to disciple one-on-one. All that. So then we're coming to a new arena where the, 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 the building's too small. I believe the church could reach really big numbers. I just believe that. I believe that. The building's not there. There's no parking. People are parking all over the place, taking tooks in and all that. We've got a brother training to him to be the pastor. We've got another guy who need to plant a church. So, so now we're kind of coming to this like, okay, we've checked all these bullet points, but now we're at this new stuff, and they're all big decisions. You know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, usher's team, okay. But now we're talking like stuff that's like, when are we going to plant this church in Candy? What kind of a building are we going to get? Because the economic status, you can go into a building, you can get some big building right now for cheap, but what happens when the economy rolls back up and it, you get priced out and you just did all these changes to a building? They'll be glad to move you right out and bring someone else right in that'll pay more. There's that. Staffing decisions. All these big things. 
So, so we were coming through the last year, and I was saying, okay, I want to get this building wrapped up because we knew we were coming back to Idaho, and we get this building wrapped up, and we get this. And, and you know what began to happen is I began to go through the bullet points. Begin, it was like, whoa, I'm, it's fuzzy. Fuzzy. And so someone comes to me and says, hey, pastor, see, what are you projecting? Building and, and all that. It's like, woo, vision. What do you see next year? What's the theme and what's the plan? for a pastor to see trees? I don't really know. Not really sure. But what about this, huh? Oh, come on, pastor. You know, you like organization. You love, you know, Franklin Covey. And all. No, 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 no. No. I don't know. I don't know. Nope, don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know, don't know. You know, that'll mess with a pastor. That'll mess with a Christian, won't it? You got big decisions. You have to make the decisions. It's not like you can just like forget the Like you got to make the decisions. Like they got to come. So that messes with you because you're kind of like, I need to know this. But you don't, have, you don't have any liberty of the Holy Ghost. You have, no, you have no sight. So what do you do? going to need you to lead me by the hand. We started coming towards our time to fly out, and to be honest, we, we lo- we've not wanted to go, but probably in the last month when we stopped getting gas, that probably helped precipitate a desire to maybe get out of the country for a spell. And the Lord began to show me, David, I'm not just bringing you here for Nathan. I'm not just bringing you here for tacos, which I've already had them several times. I'm bringing you here because I'm going to get you out of the madness. I'm going to get you out of the hustle and bustle. I'm going to get you out of the fray. I'm going to get you on some runs. I'm going to get you on some walks. I'm going to get you out by yourself. Beautiful summer in Idaho. Look, I've lived in San Diego. Summers in Idaho, you just can't beat. Sunset, sunrise, no, no. I'm going to get you out. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell you when. I don't, it's not on the calendar. The Lord meets me this day. I'm just going to take you by the hand. And when I'm ready to show you, I'm going to show you. So my last Sunday at, at CBBBC, I preached this message, and I said, all right, we have all these things. Guess what my answer is? I see trees. What are you supposed to do? Well, we know quite a bit of what we're supposed to do. We have a friend day this month. Let's have the biggest friend day we've ever had. We have ministries that we've just started. Let's get those ministries going. We have soul winning on Saturday. Let's get those, keep those ministries going. We have, we have plenty to do for the Lord. Let's just be busy about what God has us to do right here where we are. And then when the Lord reveals, then we'll make those decisions. But let's just work the trees. It's been, a, it's been a blessing this week to get some text messages. My wife's got some text messages. Pastor, we're working the trees this week. Got big friend day. I'm praying for big things. I want, I want to see Brother Soren. I want to see God use him in ways that I've never seen. And here's what the Lord 
if you were to, if I were to try to encapsulate our time in Sri Lanka, it's like this. We came in, we could see, but now we see trees. We come back, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit and His Word, not weird stuff, based on His Word, some of you are getting nervous, His Word, and He's going to reveal what's next. So let me ask you a couple questions, and we're done, we're done. What is it in your life that you don't quite see clearly? What is it in your life, perhaps, that you've been trying to figure out, you've been trying to determine, you've been trying to discern, and it's fuzzy? Maybe you've been kind of wrestling with that. Maybe you've been feeling like your leadership is inadequate, or maybe you've been feeling like, you know, you should just almost just guess and just do it because activity is important. And maybe tonight the Lord's just saying this to you. How about you just work on what you know and live with the trees I've given you and look to me. And in due time, in due time, you will see clearly. You will, you will see clearly. Because oftentimes we see trees before we see men. And then when the Lord brings you through that, remember who did it. Remember who showed you. Remember who opened your eyes. Remember where the glory should be. Oftentimes we see trees before we see men. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. A message like this could apply so many different facets. However the Holy Spirit has spoken tonight, His Word is spoken. Let's just have a time of invitation. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you'd like to come to the altar, if you'd like to kneel where, where you are. Maybe the Lord's just brought you through some stuff and He's just revealed and He's helped you through some things and you just need to praise Him for it. Maybe there's some people you've been trying to force to get it and it's just time to release them to the Lord. However the Lord has spoken, you come tonight.